leadership matters in our world at large, no matter where you go. And leadership matters within the community of faith. Leadership matters within the church. I'm not sure if you've heard it or not, but one of the hottest, most popular podcasts out there right now is a podcast that's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which chronicles the journey of Mark Driscoll and his former church in Seattle, which I'm sure most of you probably heard of Mars Hill, maybe you haven't, but Mars Hill started out as a small group of people in the mid-90s that grew to over probably 15,000 people or so among many campuses in multiple states. And now the church formally doesn't exist anymore. And ironically, we're in Harbor Church, which used to be Mars Hill Olympia. That's where we are tonight. Leadership matters. And so does, by the way, a person's response to leadership. Right? It's, it's a two-way street, it's a two-way relationship of those leading and those who respond to leadership. It really is a beautiful and yet challenging dance among those who steward authority and those who are under authority. So if you have a Bible, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, why don't you open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Because leadership matters for the people of God in the kingdom of God. And yet here's what I realized tonight as we get ready to read 1 Peter 5. Some of you in the room this evening have had beautiful, transformative, life-giving experiences with church leadership. Some of you have had no experience with church leadership, and maybe this whole God thing is newer to you. And I also realize that some of you have had really negative experiences with church leadership. That whether it's pastor or elder or leader, that someone with that title has carried a role in your life that has left wounds and pain and scars and, and I realize even, maybe even, it's not just in the abstract or out there, but maybe even within our church or from our church, maybe you've experienced church leadership in a way that has hurt you, maybe from our elders or even from me. So I recognize that dynamic as we sit here and talk about church leadership, and I may be one who has contributed to that even in your own life. But even though uh, at times uh, the ideal and the real has a massive gap in between it, it doesn't mean that we're called to water down the ideal. We're still called tonight to talk about and point to what is God's heart for leadership? What is God's heart for the interaction between those who steward authority and those who are under authority? Because again, leadership matters. I believe it's extremely close to the heart of Jesus. And Peter gives us this good word. Here it is, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And I realize that verse is just half of a verse and it goes on to finish another thought. Uh, We'll get there next week. We're going to focus our attention here. 1 through 5a. In this section, Peter addresses two groups. Two groups of people and he gives this charge. He gives a word of exhortation to each group. And the first four verses... You can go back. I'm going to keep there for a second. In the first four verses, he spends a lot more time, uh, and he only gives one line to the second group. But now you can go to the next slide. Here's Here's the breakdown. Here's the command. Here's the word of exhortation. He says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. And he says to the youngers in the community, submit to the elders. Shepherd and submit. Oh, if it only were that simple. (laughs) So tonight we are going to talk about these two groups. We're going to talk about these two exhortations. And I realize that there is far more that could be said about all of this than we're going to have ability to tackle tonight. But we are going to check in with what Peter has to say. He says, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And those younger submit to the elders. So here's the first one, the elders, shepherd the flock of God. Peter starts out first by talking to the elders in the community. So in the New Testament church, uh, we see this pattern emerge. If you read through the New Testament, this pattern that disciples of Jesus are made, that churches are formed, and then elders are appointed to lead them. And you see that pattern happen throughout the book of Acts. You see it happen in Paul's writings and his letters, especially if you read through 1 Timothy and Titus. And then here in Peter, you see this talked about again. He refers to the elders of the community. And the idea being, I know there's some discussion about how all this gets played out specifically or technically or organized in a particular way, but this is kind of the general normal pattern of New Testament church life. That There's a community of disciples with qualified appointed elders who give leadership to that group. Now, you could read this passage in a variety of ways. Some could read it as a corrective, as though he's trying to uh, name things that are going wrong in their community. Uh, Others view it as a positive word of exhortation. Uh, Some make this into a checklist of like, elders should be this, 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 and this, and you got to check off all the boxes. Before I get into the heart of what Peter says here tonight, I want to, in some ways, I want to restore the heartbeat of this passage. So to to kind of capture or recapture the heartbeat of what Peter is saying, we're going to leave 1 Peter just for a little bit. We'll come back into this tonight before we're through. But turning your Bibles back to John chapter 21. I think it's super helpful for us to remember who's writing this letter before we get into the details of what's being said. And the person who is writing this letter is Peter. 
The person writing this letter to these elect exiles, they're scattered in Asia Minor, but the author of the letter is Peter, a disciple of Jesus, and the experiences that Peter has come to play out in what he has to say. So let me set the scene a little bit, John 21. By the time John 21 takes place, we're post, post Good Friday, and we're post-Resurrection Sunday. So Jesus is now, by John 21, he's back from the dead. But I think it's fair to say that the craziness of that week regarding his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection, the craziness of that week is not too far in the rearview mirror when John 21 happens, especially for someone like Peter. Because while all of the followers of Jesus bailed on him in some form or fashion, Peter's experience was even that much more extreme. Peter's the one who denies Jesus three times. Lastly, to his face, I don't know the man. So, uh, John 21, Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter had, um, he said, hey, let's go fishing. He invited the disciples to go fishing. They went fishing. Uh, It's a fun story. They spend all night with some professional fishermen. They can't catch any fish until Jesus tells them how to fish. And then they catch the fish. Jesus takes the fish. And he offers them a redemptive breakfast around a charcoal fire. And this is uh, John 21. This is Peter's first extended interaction with Jesus post-denial and post-resurrection. And in the same fashion where Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus now questions and engages Peter three times. Here's what he says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Uh, There's a lot in this little interaction that we could spend time on. Um, I'll try not to dig into too much of it for the sake of time. But Jesus talks to Peter, and he doesn't even call him Peter. He uses his original name, Simon. And he asks him these questions, do you love me? And again, in the, uh, go to the next slide. In the original language, there's a, there's a word play here, because many of you may know there's more than one Greek word for love. And so Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? And uh, Peter says, yes, I phileo you. Uh, I brotherly love you. And so there's this kind of interplay back and forth where Jesus is asking if you agape me, and Peter says, I phileo you. And then finally, um, Jesus says, do you phileo me? I won't get into all the love gymnastics that Jesus and Peter get into. But he does it three times. 
And as Jesus is engaging Peter, the one that denied him three times, now he's asking him three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in response to the love question, yes, you know that I love you. This is what Jesus says. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. In this middle one, the word is poimen, which is the word shepherd. It's the word pastor that we use today. Jesus is engaging Peter, the one who failed him and denied him and bailed on him, and now says in this beautiful act of restoration and renewal, Jesus hands Peter the baton and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of my sheep. Take care of them, tend them, feed them, pasture them. Out of all the things that Jesus could have told him, tend my sheep, pasture my sheep, take care of my sheep. And I believe this is one of those moments that Peter gets seared into his mind. I have no textual proof for that. But I, 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 I can't figure how it would not be a big deal for Peter. Peter's not going to forget this encounter. He walks into the encounter filled with probably some measure of guilt and shame over his failure. And Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Here's what I want you to do. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Why? Jesus really cares for his sheep. Jesus really cares for his people. Jesus really cares for his lambs. Or may I put it more personally, Jesus really cares about you. He really cares about you. You are on his heart. This is really important to Jesus. Taking care of the sheep for Jesus is a serious, significant vital responsibility. And Jesus entrusts Peter with this role. Have you ever been to a wedding before and watched a father giving away the bride? Been to a wedding? Who gives this woman to be married to this man? What's, usually, what's the traditional response? Her mother and I, right? And as someone who has done probably close to 100 weddings in my few decades of pastoral ministry. It's an interesting thing to watch. A father take the hand of his daughter and put it in the hand of another man and say, don't break her. Love her. I'm entrusting, my, I'm entrusting care to you. And and I know it's not a one-to-one here, but it's kind of the same heart here that as Jesus, post-resurrection, comes to Peter and says, in your redeemed state, in your forgiven state now, this is what I want for you. Take care of my sheep. Peter now, writing to these elders, is saying, as Jesus passed the baton of the care and protection and leadership of the flock to me, I am taking a piece of that and I'm handing it off to you. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Pastor my sheep. It's a big deal. 
And so there's specifics then that, that Peter spells out. I think I have them up here. Right? He says the leaders are to be called and not coerced. He says, don't, don't shepherd the flock as overseers under compulsion, not out of coercion. Leaders are called to do a, it, it's, it's a, it's a get-to job, not a have-to job. If you feel like you have to and you're coerced to it, whether that, however that coercion happens, whether it's from another person or a spouse or even some inward self sense of coercion, he says, no, shepherd the flock not under coercion, but as God would have you because God has called you to this. Also, he says that leaders are to be driven by eagerness and not greed, not for shameful gain, but, but eagerly. And that can refer to money or it could refer to power and prestige. It could refer to platform is a, a word we throw around a lot these days. That the shepherding of the sheep is not for greed or money or title or platform or popularity. Not out of a greedy heart, but eagerly out of a desire to love as Jesus loves. And then he also says that leaders are to be an example, not an overlord, not a domineering overlord as examples, not beating up the sheep. And again, I'll, I'll point out that a lot of what Peter talks about here has to do with character and motivation more than it has to do with skill and tactic. But these are the kind of people that Jesus, who takes this very seriously, has asked to lead and care for the flock. People who are called and excited to serve and willing to be an example. People who are willing to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And then Peter frames all of this here in 1 Peter 5, being mindful, verse 4, that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And he frames all of this with this idea that there is a day when the chief shepherd will return. So coming full circle back to Jesus' commission to Peter, tend my flock, feed my sheep, Peter says, and there's a day when the chief shepherd will come back again. And any person who steps into leadership in a community is not doing it for themselves or without accountability, but there is a day. There is a chief shepherd. There is a senior pastor of the church, and it's Jesus. And there is a day when he will come back again. So that everything else in leadership is to be done in view of that day with deep reverence and humility. So every elder, every leader is an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. And every elder must walk in deep humility because these are his sheep and not our sheep. And every elder must love what he does and how he leads overseeing for Jesus. Again, it's not about platform or power or money or fame or influence or personal success. It's about the king and the chief shepherd and his name and his kingdom and his renown and his glory. Because elders are called to lead as an extension of the heart and the hand of Jesus. That's what you should expect from leaders. 
Now, they won't be perfect. But you should expect to experience them as an extension of the heart and the hands of Jesus. And Peter knows the value of this, the significance of this. So that's why he charges. Shepherd the flock. Which then brings us to verse 5, and this is kind of the, the other side of the conversation, the other partner in the leadership dance. To the elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God and to the youngers. Now I know uh, some would say like, now, is he just talking to old people and young people? And there are some maybe that would say that what he's talking here is to older people and younger people. And yet most that I've read have said that the assumption here is not just in age, though I think oftentimes with age comes wisdom and maturity. But the idea of the elders in the community is those who have been set apart, have qualifications for wisdom and maturity among them, and the youngers in faith and maturity and wisdom, the call is submit to the elders. One verse, one exhortation. Submit. Now, we'll get into the rest of the verse again next week about humility and pride and grace. Submit. Submission. Again, a very popular topic for us to cover. And not the first time that Peter's given this command in the letter. If you've been with us for the past few months, if you read through 1 Peter... He keeps coming back to this theme, right? Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Be subject, it's the, the Greek word hupotasso, submission, be subject to, submit to. So in chapter 2, it's be subject to every institution, emperors and governors. 2.18, he says, servants be subject to your masters. 3.1, he says, wives be subject to your husbands. 5.5, 5, younger, be subject to the elders. So it's, it's not as though he hasn't been talking about this in different areas in different spheres throughout the entirety of the letter. He's applying the same idea in just a different way. And yet again, I'm here to talk about submission and name again, this is a loaded word. Because here's my heart, even as we talk about this, and you have a church leader speaking to a church community, shepherd the flock to the elders, submit to the elders to the community, I don't want to explain it away to you. Like, Peter didn't really mean to use that word. He keeps using that word. So I'm not trying to explain the word away to you. And yet, at the same time, in the same way when we talked about marriage or even slavery with masters, I feel the need to nuance this to some degree because I know what has happened. In the name of hupotasso, in the name of submission, Church leaders have abused, manipulated, used power for selfish gain. And so it can leave many people's heads spinning, saying, all right, be subject to, does that just mean let leaders do whatever they want to do? And I got I to shut up, be silent, take a seat, and just blindly follow along. So I don't want to water down the word and I don't want to enable abuse. 
And, I, and my prayer is, how does, the, how does the community of faith, how does the community of disciples, the people of God, still hear the Spirit's call to submission to godly qualified, Jesus-shaped, Jesus-loving leadership? That kind of nuance is really rare for our day and age. So I'm going to get my caveats out of the way, just so maybe, maybe you can hear this. Because um, I, I realize that I could be speaking to some people tonight that have experienced church abuse. And for that, I'm sorry. And I believe it breaks the heart of God. And unfortunately, it's happened way too much in churches in the name of leadership. So here here are a few of my caveats around submission. Submission is not subjugation to all leaders. It is not setting up a dichotomy where a leader is dictator. To to get whatever, whenever. And I know, I I mean, I, I have friends, I've experienced this where some church leaders function as demigods. And they make others be subject or subjugated to whatever they want. I don't believe that's what he's calling for here. Also, submission is not mindless agreement on everything. <laughs> Meaning, I believe that good and godly leadership allows for healthy disagreement and discussion, and the goal is not to get everyone to think the same about everything. The goal is not to have everyone recite like robots the same thing. And if everyone in the church community has to agree to the party line on everything, that becomes a cult. Now obviously, I think biblically, there are some close-handed orthodox issues of faith that I believe that leaders are called to defend sound doctrine, to keep sound doctrine, But in all honesty, I think that list is smaller than we would like it to be. And those issues are borne out over a couple thousand years of orthodoxy in the capital C church. So to say, be subject to or submit to your leaders doesn't mean that you have to think and agree with everything that your leader says and parrot back the line on everything to be a robot. Also, submission is not weak timidity. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to kind of cower or not look leadership in the eye or uh, be silent on everything or back down. It's not a command to be passive or to never hold a strong opinion on something. And then also submission is not destructive or devaluing. And again, I would just call you to look at the fruit of what's happening. And if the fruit of leadership leaves people harmed, hurt, devalued, destroyed, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, then you have to begin to conclude that something's wrong. And at that point, you should say something about it. Submission is not just to keep taking abuse as a doormat. 
And I believe because Jesus is the chief shepherd and because the church belongs to him and because he is the ultimate authority who is coming back again one day, I believe that the heart of Jesus is broken over every instance when leadership abuses the sheep. And submission is by no means an excuse for manipulation or power plays or abuse or the like. And I'm sure if we wanted to, we could probably spend some time passing the mic and telling stories about things that we've experienced in the name of Jesus, in the name of leadership. And maybe, and maybe if that's been part of your story in deep ways, can I encourage you to get some help? Can we help you get help? And talking to a counselor or a therapist, some of that stuff is just deep-seated woundedness that Jesus does want to heal. And yet, tonight, the solution for abuse then, or the solution for any problem, is not then to just to throw it all out. Meaning, since so many church leaders have abused their power, the solution is not then just obliterate leadership or to obliterate the idea of submission. I would hope that it, it, it encourages us to move toward a healthy expression of leadership and submission. Because this is what's happened. Some who have tasted abuse in the church have left the church altogether. And maybe you have friends in that category or family members in that category and they've deconstructed their faith and they're telling others to deconstruct their faith too. Some have grown suspect of all churches and all leaders. Some have just moved their spiritual journey online and so rather than being a part of an in-person community, they will then find someone who more aligns with them in the interwebs and watch their YouTube videos. Some have concluded that they won't let anyone ever have authority over them in their life again. So some leave loud, some leave with a whisper. So here's what I'm trying to hold on to in 1 Peter 5, 1-5. through 5. I do believe that people are made for community. I do believe that you have been made to experience real, embodied, someone-knows-me community. And so to, to look for that only online leaves you lacking and leaves the body of Christ lacking. I also believe that a community of disciples needs leadership. And while they won't be perfect and they won't get it right 100% of the time, I do think that community needs godly leadership and that followers of Jesus flourish best when there are shepherds in their life that they are willing to follow and submit to. So, with all of my caveats in place, I want to call you to that. And I know we're in this weird season of life and time some people are still watching online. I'm not trying to bag on that. We obviously offer it to you. We're glad that you're watching. But we want Reality Church to be a place where there is real embodied community and where someone knows you and loves you enough that they can call you out 
And you'll feel the love of boundaries in your life. Doctrinal boundaries, relational boundaries. So this may seem outdated or naive or foolish or outlandish in 2021, but I hope and dream of a community where the local leadership, the elders, will say, I want a shepherd like Jesus. And the people in the community will say, I'm a part of Reality Church, and I'm willing to place myself under the teaching authority and the correction of the local elders. Again, that may sound outlandish or naive. But I think there's wisdom in that. Not as a power play or to build a platform or an ego, but recognizing that there's wisdom to be had in a community where those who have been set apart by God can lead and protect and feed and love and oversee in the Jesus way. Maybe you've noticed over the past year and a half, our church has changed. Have you noticed? There aren't as many people here on a Sunday as there used to be. And the reasons for that are complex. Some of it, I'll name, is part of poor leadership. I'll own some of that. There's been places where I've been passive and have not led in a way that honors Jesus best. There's been places where I have sought false peace. Places where I've avoided conflict rather than stepping in. And I'm really grateful for God's grace in that. Grateful for my counselor that I see. I'm really grateful for my spiritual director. I'm really grateful for a group of elders. I'm really grateful for our C team right now who are helping me grow to be more of a godly leader. And I think our elder team is working to become more like 1 Peter 5. So that's part of the equation. I think that by God's grace, we're seeking to see that happen more. But if now more than ever, our church needs godly leadership. Because we're walking through landmines a lot. But it's also not the whole of it either. And some people have left our church over masks or vaccines or the topics of social justice or the police. Some have left as a result of a good process, and they've left with good conversations. Others have left without saying anything. And here's some of the patterns that I see in those relationships, is that usually communication breaks down and assumptions have been made and the path of least resistance is taken and the body suffers. And I really am excited to see what the Holy Spirit has in store as we keep moving forward. And those who have left our church um, are part of the body of Christ. And we love them. 
and we still talk with them and engage with them. And there's something that God is, I believe, rebuilding here among us, here at Reality. So, so what are some of those things that could be helpful for you toward leadership? I'm just going to throw a couple of verses up here as we end. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And there's a lot that could be said about that. But this is a verse, I've said it before, it's one that I think of often as someone who carries a leadership role. He's saying here, there's something in my life that I will give an account to Jesus one day for the souls that I oversee. I know I'm not the only one. I'm a part of a team that does this. But if I'm going to give an account for people's souls one day, I want to know who that is. Just being frank with you. I want to know who that is. Who, do I, who will I be accountable to Jesus one day in my shepherding? So I think commitment's a piece of that. It would be helpful for those who are part of our church to say, I am a part of Reality Church. And in that, are you saying, am I willing to be teachable? Am I willing to receive correction? Another verse, this is right after this, verse 18. He says, let, let them, I mean the leaders, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Well, here's a question. Am I contributing to the joy of leading this church? Because it's better for all of us if it's done with joy and not with groaning. First. Uh, Thessalonians 5.12 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. It's a piece of respect. And I'll just say, I sense a lot of that in our community. Next verse, verse 13 says, Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Again, I use the, the, the phrase, there's a delicate dance between leadership and the community. And I think that dance is a really beautiful one. It can, be, it can be, for a variety of reasons, a broken dance, but it can be a beautiful dance. And I believe that's what God is doing. Teaching the shepherds how to shepherd with greater courage and wisdom and maturity. Calling the flock to respect and love and in appropriate ways submit to leadership for our good. And I'll end with this tonight. I don't know how anyone can walk through this topic without sensing a deep, deep need for grace. Like oodles of it. That's a Greek word. Because I know seeing the faults and the failures of leadership, it makes me long and run to the chief shepherd. It makes me want to tell Jesus all the crummy ways that human leaders have represented him over the years. It makes me as a shepherd want to run to Jesus and confess all the crummy ways that I have led. 
or not led, about the broken ways that we have led our church. And that makes me run to the cross, to the chief shepherd. It makes me want to ask Jesus to forgive us and to heal us and to make himself more visible and more prominent in his grace. Because there's one perfect shepherd. And oh, that my heart would beat with stronger affection for him. And every under-shepherd only stands by his grace. Because leaders need Jesus. And seeing the faults and failures of submission in a community also makes me want to run to Jesus. And it makes me want to talk to him about all the broken ways that people have responded to leadership in silence or in fighting or in isolating or in insisting on their own way. And it makes me want to run to the cross and ask Jesus to forgive and to heal and to mend our body and to make a new heart of godly submission, healthy submission run in us and beat in us because the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. The shepherd laid down his life for wayward sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is shepherd and sheep. He is leader and lamb. And we're this crazy community that desperately needs Jesus. All of us do. And we're being invited to create a community that looks more Jesus-y and sounds more Jesus-y and lives more Jesus-y in all that we do. So may the chief shepherd shape the under-shepherds, and may the Lamb of God heal and redeem the flock. And may we all fix our eyes on Jesus, who's coming back someday. Let's pray. Jesus, You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, you are the Good Shepherd who lays down your life for your sheep. And so Lord, even tonight in talking about this dynamic in our own community, we're reminded again just how much we need you. Just how much we depend on you just how much we look to you. And we're grateful that you love us. (laughs) We're grateful that when Peter blew it and denied you, you didn't write him off and send him off to some other meaningless activity, but rather you healed him, restored him, and called him to tend sheep. Feed the flock. So thank you, God, for your grace. Would you do a particular work among our leaders? May you do a particular work among our community. Lord, may that dance be beautiful. May it speak of you. May it reflect you. May it make much.